Welcome to the Winning Edge Investments Podcast. Winning Edge Investments provides industry-leading horse racing and sports betting tips, ratings and education, enabling you to invest intelligently and treat your betting like a business. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com to learn more about how you can start to supercharge your betting bank immediately. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. This week on the Winning Edge podcast, we're joined by one of the most highly regarded young people in racing, Andrew Hawkins. G'day, Andrew. How are you? Well, that's uh, quite the introduction. You've given me quite the high <laughs> there, Brad. Um, look, it's uh, great to join you and uh, really looking forward to what is going to be, well, a fun few minutes uh, having a chat to you, but also a, a big few days in terms of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. Definitely, mate. We're only a couple of days out from the, the big one, the Melbourne Cup, and you are renowned for your knowledge of international racing. But firstly, let's give the listeners a backstory of how you got into racing. Well, it's um, been a very interesting journey for me because I wasn't born into the industry. I didn't have anyone there that really um, was there to, to, to foster my love of racing. So for me, I first came to it through races like the Melbourne Cup. Um, you know, my, my dad um, would, would bet on the Melbourne Cup every year and, and uh, he had been... Uh, in the 1970s, he'd, he'd tell me stories about having seen horses like uh, Crisp, the great jumper Crisp at Mooney Valley, but to him that meant nothing. Um, and so for me, it was very much just a case of uh, as I grew up and uh, went from my childhood into my teens, um, just getting more and more interested every year. Um, so for me, when I was about 15, um, I just turned 15 when Mackay beat won her third and that spring was really the time that I started following closely. Um, again, I've been watching the Corfu Cup, the Cox Plate, the Melbourne Cup, the Golden Slipper for, for years. But that was the first spring where I really started doing form and trying to understand how it all worked. Um, and it just grew from there. So uh, uh, by the time I was um, 17, actually, I might have even been a little bit younger than that, but I was, I was, um, uh, my first job in racing was in the car park at Rose Hill, uh, one of <laughs> fluoro jackets, um, being able to, to point people into into car parks. And I remember being in the most distant car park at Rose Hill um, in 2008 when uh, Sebring won the Golden Slipper. And I just remember um, seeing some of the owners driving out that day and thinking, I'd love to, to work my way up. And luckily, it's, um, it's worked out for me. So, um, you know, I did a journalism degree, um, had the chance to travel the world, um, got to go to Hong Kong for five years where I was uh, worked for the South China Morning Post and then um, for the Hong Kong Jockey Club um, and uh, been able to freelance as well. Um, obviously came back here and worked for Sky Racing. Um, that ended up only being for a year. Um, was hoping it'd be for longer, but unfortunately um, they made me redundant after last spring. Um, but I've been lucky enough to find a job with ANZ Bloodstock News, which is where I am now. So I've been able to do a lot of different things. Um, I've got to see a lot of the world. I've got to see some of the world's great horses and trainers and jockeys. And it's been a really great experience over the last few years. What was the fascination with international racing? I mean, it sounds like you found your love in Australia, but what really got your interest in international racing? Well, I think it was about trying to figure out the Melbourne Cup. That's um, to, for me. That's key to, to everything about my story. Is that um, the Melbourne Cup is that constant? Um, I still remember my first university assignment was about why I loved the Melbourne Cup. <laughs> um, it, it it was something for me that 
really represented my entry into the sport because it was the way that I was able to to learn about so many different facets. Um, so for me, I remember watching um, Shane Anderson and Andrew Lejeune do, do racing around the world and thinking I'd love to just understand how um, how it all works and how, how it differs from place to place. And um, I got lucky enough when I was in my third year of uni to, to do a gap year in Ireland, you know, to do a semester in Ireland anyway. Um, but I'd worked full-time for a couple of bookmakers um, during the year prior and um, – uh, by doing that, so I was, I was balancing full-time work and full-time uni, but I had enough money that I was able to go to some of the world's great races in that semester. So I was able to go to um, to Cheltenham. I went to Aintree for the Grand National. I went to Dubai for the World Cup. Um, I went to um, Epsom for the Derby, Royal Ascot, and that was the year that um, that Frankel won the Queen Anne, Black Caviar won the Diamond Jubilee, So yeah. um won the Prince of Wales. Um and and uh, was that your favourite? Uh, what? So you think winning there? Yeah, or Frankel winning or Black Caviar? What, what oh, stands out? All of them, all of them were different. I mean, so you think was was special because that was his last career start, and I'd actually been at Rose Hill when he won his debut, so I'd got to see that that whole career through, and so that was that was special. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, but Frankel, I've never seen a horse move like he moved. Um, that day at, at Ascot, he just—I've never ever seen a horse move like that. Um, it was, it was phenomenal, um, and he literally was just just cutting the the, the grass like he just was—it it, it was extraordinary. Um, but um, by doing all that and then coming back through Hong Kong, got to go to Sha Tin for the first time, and um, also went to Singapore for their meeting. And by getting to experience racing there, I got to meet a lot of different people. Um, and I saw that there was that, that there were opportunities there which um, could allow me to to travel the world and and get to get to meet people and get to see racing in many different countries. And I've been lucky enough that it's all worked out. So is Frankel the best horse you've seen? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I've been lucky enough to see some very good horses. Um, I've seen. Thinking in the last decade, um, I've seen Black Caviar, I've seen Wings, I've seen So You Think, I've seen Enable Race, I've seen California Chrome Race. Um, when I was in Hong Kong, Able Friend was there, um, Designs on Rome at the same time. Um, you know, I've been very, very lucky um, with a lot of the horses. Like I said, I've seen Arrogant and California Chrome in a Breeders' Cup Classic. Um, but Frankel, the way that he moves, I've just, it's hard to explain um, just how breathtaking it was um, because he really just, he, he was poetry in motion. He just, he, he was the perfect racehorse. Um, I think if I hadn't have seen him race that day, I would be very much on the side of black caviar against Frankel or winks against Frankel. But having seen him that day, I understand why the Brits are so um, enamored by him. Do you think he gets enough adulation over here? I mean, a lot of people compare him to Winks and probably didn't get to see the best of him longevity-wise. Do we appreciate him enough over here? I don't think so, but I think that's also a case of not understanding the UK pattern or not not having not being able to put the the perspective of the UK pattern um, from an Australian angle. Like, um, you know, Australians look at the facts or, or look at look at. Frankel's career through the lens of how they know the Australian pattern to be. So, you know, the fact that he won the Guineas, the 2000 Guineas, the way he did, well, 
you know, there are, there are plenty of guineas down here. Um, I mean, a Caulfield Guineas winner or an Australian Guineas winner or a Randwick Guineas winner is always going to be um, a horse that, uh, you know, is is um, elevated stardom. But to, to win the 2,000 Guineas at Newmarket and in the way that he did it um, was very impressive. And then for him to, to remain unbeaten throughout his career and to win by the margins that he did, um, again, uh, Winks very, like, Winks is an extraordinary horse, and I'll never, ever say that Winx is anything other than than a champion, and and um, she she's right up there. But um, Frankel just had that something that uh, you can't put into words that was just really, really special. We've heard a lot of stories about Black Caviar's win over there. What was it like being there in front row seat for that? Oh, it was... Extraordinary. There's a picture, if you can find it on the internet, um, I'll, I'll have to tweet it out again, but there's a picture of me in my top hat at Royal Ascot and I'm sitting in the media room and I've got the Australian flag on the back <laughs> of my seat and, and you've just got the brief journos looking like, who is this guy, you know? Um, but it was such a day of patriotism there because you, 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 there were so many Australians tracks fight yep. and we were all expecting to see Black Caviar just dominate that field. Um and so I was standing on the fifth floor and I was standing next to a couple of French people who I later found out were connected to the Freddie Head stable. Um, and Freddie Head trained Moonlight Cloud, who uh, ran second. And so Black Caviar has gone to the lead, but but um, about a furlong out, she's, she's not showing that trademark acceleration. And Moonlight Cloud's coming hard and they're getting very, very excited next to me. And we're just screaming and, and shouting profanities and just, just going crazy, just, you know, and, and then Luke Nolan sort of eased up, you know, uh, dropped his hands. And, uh, look, I know why he did it now, but in the moment yeah. you're just thinking, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and then just that wait for the for the photo. You thought she'd done it, but you just weren't sure. And then the photo went up and the celebrations were wild. But um, it was it was extraordinary. Um yeah. It, a great experience, and I'm so glad to have been there for it. Yeah, certainly wasn't lacking drama that race. Turned out she was injured, but yeah, very uh, crazy moment in racing. But that's the that's the thing as well. I think I don't think she gets enough recognition. That's that's probably her best win. Um, the fact that she was able to travel to the other side of the world. Um, she clearly was injured. She clearly didn't perform to her best, but she was still able to win with so much against her. Um, you know, people. I think in the UK, a lot of people say, oh, you know, these, these wins are gifted. That's how they're able to build up these streaks. But um, nothing was gifted to her there, and she was still able to win. And Moonlight Cloud, um, who she beat, was just was, was a four- or five-time Group 1 winner. She was a, a sensational um, mare herself. And so, so to be able to do that, to me, um, that that's just, again, a very special moment. And that list of races, you've got to see um, some of the world's best horses. It's quite remarkable. Um, definitely living the dream, those experiences. It is. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> COVID has really, has really uh, dampened it a little bit. It would have been great to, to be um, abroad and seeing some of these races this year. But it's uh, the way it is. Uh, I know that uh, I said to someone recently that uh, I've been based in Sydney now since, uh, since March um, I think St. Patrick's Day I got back from the UK and it's the longest since I was probably 10 or 11 that I've spent in New South Wales or in Sydney. So um, definitely getting a little bit uh, eager to travel, but look, at least uh, here in Sydney, we've been very lucky compared to 
you know, compared to Melbourne, compared to, to compared to other places around the world. So can't complain really. So what was the best racetrack you went to? Uh, a lot of people have asked that, and it's it's a difficult one because there are tracks that have so many. Uh, there are, there are different reasons why tracks are uh, so charming or so um, enjoyable or, or what have you. Um, I mean, Happy Valley is always close to home for me um, because for most of the time I was in Hong Kong, I was living near Happy Valley. So, um, you know, for me, I'd, I'd see Happy Valley every day and just the just the way that it's designed with the, um, you know, with the, with the, the skyscrapers around it, it's, um, it's an incredible cityscape. Um, I think that... Um, Nakayama in Japan is a favourite because I've been there a couple of times and um, just the way that you see the crowds there and, and there is this love of the, the animal and, um, you know, they've got market stalls there and they've got um, um, just just all these different different aspects that make it a really um, enjoyable experience. Um, yeah, I mean, I've been I've been very lucky to, to, to see some some tracks. I remember Woodbine when I was there. I was um, in in Canada. Um, it was it was a great experience. Um, um, again, not very busy, but um, uh, but uh, it just was um, a great race day, um, and you got to see a, a lot of people from the industry there. Yeah, I mean, I've been very very lucky. And then for me, Rose Hills always. <laughs> One that I I love just because it's it's my home track. I've grown up near Rose Hill uh, most of my life, and uh, any time I can get down there, um, I do feel at home. You've got to see a lot of the world, a lot of race tracks, a lot of different ways racing is run in different countries. How does Australia compare, and what do we do well? What do we do not so well? I think that uh, Australia is actually in a really good position generally um, because Australia still has mainstream interest in racing um I, again it's probably it's probably lessening year on year but um there still is that mainstream element to racing which i think is lacking in a lot of jurisdictions around the world um i think if you look at uh, some of the major ones i think uh, the uk you might get it occasionally but generally um There'd be nothing about the horses. Um, the US, the Kentucky Derby, maybe, um, but that's it. Um, and I think it's—I think that's the, the biggest strength that um, your Asian countries, especially Japan and Hong Kong, have is that that um, uh, knowledge of the product um, and the mainstream exposure. So I think Australia actually does pretty well there, um, and Australia obviously doing very well in terms of its funding model and being able to. Um, ensure that a lot of money is going back into racing, um, into prize money. Um, it's a it's an effective uh, cycle um, that's ensuring that um, most most customers, most most participants in whichever facet um, are able to win. Um, I mean, I think that from a breeding perspective, obviously the fact that uh, it's so geared towards um, sprinters and milers, and also um, I'd say with with um, training uh, methods as well. Um, I think that's definitely something that is a negative compared to elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think that um, otherwise Australia is pretty pretty good. Um, I mean, the quality uh, across the board may not be as strong as some other places, um, but I think day in day out it has one of the best products available in the world. 
You said that racing overseas in many countries isn't mainstream. Do you feel that it's been that way forever or is it a, a recent decline over there? Um, I think it's definitely been a recent decline um, and I think it's for a number of different reasons. Um, the US, I think it's just become marginalised. I think if you look back through history and you see, um, you know, uh, Biscuit versus War Admiral, uh, War Admiral in the US and that match race and the, the excitement it generated, I think that racing was so much more part of um, the mainstream experience there um, in the US and, and especially a part of their sporting landscape. Um, but it's got to the point in the last five years where newspapers just won't cover it at all. At all, at all. And uh, they also, um, even for a Kentucky Derby, um, they just they might carry a line, a couple of lines. It's nothing, it, it just doesn't get the, the um, interest that it once did. Um, it's been similar in the UK. Um, that said, the UK also has the benefit, although it's not good for their product and for their, for their owners, um, it does have the benefit of, of a lot of betting shops and a lot of opportunities for that to be in the mar- in the public eye. But the problem is it does become seen as a purely betting product as opposed to being a sport, um, which I think in Australia it's still sort of seen as, as both, as being a sport and a, a racing product. Um, but if you go to somewhere like Japan, for instance, um, Japan you know, horse racing's one of their three or four major sports. It would get as much coverage as um, AFL does in Melbourne or, or NRL does in Sydney. Um, it's it's got that level of coverage that it's it's um, very rare that you'll find someone who uh, doesn't know about racing. I remember going there to going to Japan for the first time, and I was trying to explain why I was there, um, and I kept saying uh, Kiba Kiba, which is um, which is horse racing, horse racing. And and um, the first thing they said was that, oh, um, Deep Impacto. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so they, they know yeah. Deep Impacto. Okay. So, yeah, I think, that's, I think it's a recent thing in those, those countries. And I think um, a lot of the Western world has been seeing that sort of decline. Um, but I think there are different reasons in different countries for it. And I think Australia, Australia's seen it slightly, but I'd also say that uh, Australia's been pretty good at being able to maintain its core base. Yep. That being said, though, it is still very much a talking point, trying to keep racing relevant and to make it attractive for future generations. What more could we do, do you think? Yeah, it's a tough one. Um, again, each generation is different. Um, I think that's like the Hong Kong Jockey Club, when I was working there, I was always impressed by the way in which they um, pointed towards market segmentation and would always would always look at the different ways that they could attract different segments. So I think they se- they separated it into seven or eight segments and they would always ensure that um, whatever projects they were working on would attract one of those segments. Um, yep. And I think that here in Australia, there's probably more of a scattergun approach. Um, I think that in Australia, there's very much a focus on it, it either goes too far towards the fashion side or the party side or or what have you, or it goes too in-depth into the racing side that a novice is just going to get scared away because they, yep. they, how are they supposed to understand it? Um, and so I think that probably more education is needed. Um, I think tools like 
living legends, for instance, are, are valuable because it just it, it builds that narrative that you can then become interested in the sport more. Um, yep. I think that um, the, the, I remember having a chat once in the States um, with um, uh, a friend of mine who also who, who does a similar role over in the States, and she always said that the first thing most people will remember about racing will have something to do with a bet or will have something to do with a wager or will have something to do with a, a win. It's that, it, that a feeling of success and victory that, that attracts people to racing. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a winning bet. Um, I mean, I know mine was, mine was having 50 cents each way on might and power, which I know was absolutely, uh, absolutely crazy. Like, why would you have 50 cents each way on a, on a two-to-one favourite? But, um, but that feeling of, of accomplishment and, and excitement when he beat Doremus by a nose in the, uh, in the Melbourne Cup, you know, that hooked me, um, even though I don't think we saw the fruits till years later. So I think perhaps finding a way to, to harness that and to be able to give people the opportunity to feel like they're, they're winning um, again, I, that's a very vague term, but but giving people the opportunity, whether it be through I don't know, um, you know, uh, uh, tipping competitions or, or like what they do in the states, where they have these, um, you know, uh, the contests and they they re- the handicapping contests and they really try to encourage people to to um, you know with a with a real or a make believe. Um, bankroll to be able to to you know wager and, and try and build a bank. I think there's 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 things in there that could potentially attract a new audience, and then you're dealing with um, different segments as well. So find a balance between the love of the horse and and making a few bucks as well. Absolutely, and I, but I think I think in the end, you know, you can you can still have that love for the horse and and the admiration for the horse, but also be hooked by that victory or that, that, that win as well. And so, um, you know, I, I know, uh, again, another American friend of mine, uh, Kate Hunter, who works in Japan, she'll always talk about how watching Silver Charm win the Kentucky Derby, she didn't have any money on it, but she had picked out the grey and the grey won and that was her that was her hook. She yep. felt like she won. And so so by building up the story of the horses and, and going, okay, I'm going to go with, uh, I don't know, I'm going to go with the chosen one next week or whoever, you know, and and if it comes out and wins, then then there's you've, you've got a whole new base of potential racing fans, you know. Yep. So you've had many roles in the industry from a very young age. What kind of advice do you have for budding young racing enthusiasts who want to get into the industry? Because it can be quite hard to break through, can't it? Yeah, it can be. Um, and I remember thinking that it was going to be impossible when I was young, um, when I was in my teens, but. The thing is, is persistence pays off. Um, if, if you're dogged about it, you know, you'll, you'll win respect eventually. Um, I know that a lot of a lot of people saw me coming through and thought, "Who's this young upstart?" Um, I know of one Sydney racing reporter who told me told me once that um, the first day I stepped foot in the in the uh, the Sydney media room, they thought, "You know, what's this guy doing here? He's got no no shot of making it." And now he's a, a great mentor to me. So. Um, you know, I think I think persistence pays off. Um, I think the other thing that's really crucial, and especially in a game like racing, but it's a, a case in life as well, is networking is is everything. Um, meeting people, you never know when 
you're going to meet people that could be able to help, help you along the way. Um, I know that for me, there was a pivotal night. Actually, um, the start before Frankel won the Queen Anne, he won the lock-in stakes at Newbury. And I was in Singapore um, because they had the Singapore Cup that year, um, that weekend. And so I remember being in a bar um, called the Rue Bar. Um, used to be, um, it used to be below four floors for those that know Singapore. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't one of the four floors joints. Uh, <laughs> but it was. Um, it was an incredible melting pot of people, and there would have probably been about 20, 25 people there. But I met that night um, the two people who would be my two bosses in in Hong Kong. Um, of course, didn't know it at the time, but. Um, you know, um, I met Alan Aitken there, who uh, was my boss at the South China Morning Post. I met Pat Cummings, who was my boss at the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Um, I met Laura King from Dubai Racing Channel, who's been an incredible, incredible supporter and friend of mine. Um, Jim McGrath, um, who, you know, was calling Frankel, winning the, the Queen Anne a month later. Uh, Lee Jordan, who was the Race Victoria Scout at the time. Um, it was just an incredible opportunity to to chat to a lot of people and by being in a position to be able to meet people, I was able to, to, um, to, to, to essentially have two jobs just out of that night because, uh, you know, I'd said to Alan Aitken that um, if anything ever came up in Hong Kong, please consider me. And 18 months later he came out, uh, you know, he, he delivered on his word that night and, uh, um, you know, amazing, amazing opportunity um, that was to go be able to go to Hong Kong. So um, networking is crucial and just being able to ensure that you know as many people and you, you meet as many people as you can. Um, the other one I will mention quickly is just treat people the way that you want to be treated because uh, I'll never forget when I worked in the car park, you are really the low rung of um, of the racing um Industry, like when you when you're there, you know there are so many people there that have never uh, have no interest in racing. They're just there as a casual job. And um, for me, again, I was 16, 17, just working there in that car park, and there was nothing about me that would suggest that I would potentially go on to work um, in the media one day. And um, I remember one jockey there treating me really, really poorly. Um, being really rude and just really, really horrible. Um, and the funny thing is that jockey, I won't, I won't name the jockey, but the jockey has been based in Hong Kong during the time that I was in Hong Kong. So, yeah, he actually, um, he and I are actually friends these days and um, I'd say good friends as well. Um, but I have never really forgiven or forgotten how he treated me when I was um, young. Um, I know how he treats me now, um, and that's great. But also, you just uh, never ever really forget what uh, what happens when you're young. Um, and so, I think that's a really important part is to make sure that you know you treat people the way you want to be treated. Yep, wise words, but also hard work. I know you've produced your Melbourne Cup preview for decades. How long have you been producing the Melbourne Cup preview for? Yeah, I think I did my first one. 2009, I think, would have been the first one. Uh, I did a smaller one in 2008, but 2009 was the first one um, sort of in the format that it's uh, been done for the last few years. So, obviously, we'd love to get your thoughts on the Melbourne Cup. What do you think of the race this year? Well, I think that 
the expectation was it was going to be a poor Melbourne Cup or maybe not a poor Melbourne Cup, that's that's unfair, but I think the expectation was that it was going to be a weaker Melbourne Cup because you wouldn't be able to have the uh, international visitors. So there was a lot of talk about it being an Australian-New Zealand-only uh, Melbourne Cup and um, even talk that, you know, you may not get a full field for the first time and uh, for the first time in but I think 1997 was the last time there wasn't a full field of 24 um, at least accepted. Um, but it's actually been quite surprising because it really has developed into one of the strongest Melbourne Cups I can remember. Um, when you look at the winners of so many of those races that are, that are coming into it, and so many of them have found form as well, um, it makes for a really interesting contest. And... Uh, last time I had a look, it was $7 the field, and it's hard to see how it's not going to be $7 the field come Tuesday because it's, um, it's that sort of race. Winning Edge Investments is an independent provider of tips, ratings, and betting education on horse racing and sports, recruiting only the best full-time professional punters and expert analysts. Does your tipping service offer transparent posting of results every day using an achievable odds recording method? Do they offer a 120-page betting education pack with every membership? And do they provide a profit guarantee, loyalty bonus credits, refer a friend bonuses, and special insider discounts to valued members? If not, head over to winningedgeinvestments.com for a different, better experience. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. Let's go through the runners. We'll start in market order and get your thoughts on each of them. The Cox Plate winner, Sir Dragon A, is the equal favourite with Tiger Moth. Sir Dragon, I, I always thought he'd actually be more suited to the Melbourne Cup than the Cox Plate, um, just the way that he raced in the UK. Um, I always thought that uh, a sprint where he'd be able to um, show his stamina but also show um, his short, sort of sharp turn of foot um, would really suit him. Um, however, I must say I was lucky enough to warm to him before the Cox Plate, just because he was going to get things to suit with the way the track was, and he'd been a winner around Chester, um, which is very similar to Mooney Valley. Um, I think, you know, he's never going to get into a Melbourne Cup again with 55.5 kilos. He has to be considered um, a, a major contender. Um, Tiger Moth, I'm very, very lucky as well, because um, when I was doing my first uh, blueprint for the for the um, Melbourne Cup guide, which was... Um, probably early September, um, I saw the Tiger Moth um, on one of the rating systems that we use um, came up very, very uh, – came up as the, the, the best-weighted horse in the race by by lengths and lengths on what he'd done so far. Um, now, obviously, he's had to carry two and a half kilos more than what he was weighted at when I did that um, uh, when I was having a look then. But I got on him at 100 to 1. Um, again, only for a small amount, enough to be able to say – Okay, um, I've got a live ticket on a on a Melbourne Cup favourite at 100 to one, so I'm I'm happy about that. Um, look, Tiger Moth, there is a stamina query there, um, but I think he's um, I, I just think he's he's custom made for a Melbourne Cup, and really really like him uh, going into Tuesday's race. Um, you you know, I, I'd have to say at this stage, pre barrier draw, pre Lexus, um, I think that Tiger Moth will be the one that uh, I'll hide on top. You think he'll start favourite? 
It's tough to know. Um, I would have said for sure um, before the Cox Plate, but you know, so Dragon A's had the run here. Um, it's hard to go past a Cox Plate winner who clearly has stamina um, going into into a Melbourne Cup. So I'm not sure. I'd say if anything, so Dragon A probably starts favourite, but yep. um, but Tiger Moth, uh, if he does start favourite, I think it's it's probably the right move. Out of those two favourites, what is the best ground for either of them? So Dragon A doesn't mind a bit of sting out? Um, yeah, I mean, so Dragon A, look, the way, the way that he won um, at Mooney Valley the other day, um, very clear that, that he uh, enjoys a bit of giving the ground, and that was the same for him in the UK as well. I mean, he, he goes fine on, on, a, on top of the ground, um, but you just see that he really, um, really relishes being able to get onto a wet surface. Um, Tiger Moth, again, he's only had the four starts, so um, it's hard to say anything with much certainty uh, about him. He did win by um, a widening margin last time out on a good track. Um, again, was on a good track uh, in the Irish Derby and almost ran down Santiago. Um, won on a good firm track before that, but uh, also performed well on a soft track um, as a younger horse. So, um, look, as a son of Camelot, you'd think he'd be fine on a wet track, um, probably even relish a wet track. But uh, his form suggests that he'll be he'll be really well suited on, on top of the ground. And the forecast looks quite favourable, actually. It's a bit of rain Thursday, Friday, then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday is fine. So it should be a pretty good surface, you'd think. You'd think so, and it might be the first time in, in uh, quite some time that we've actually had a had a genuine good track for, for a Melbourne Cup because it's always seemed like there's been there's been rain around or... Or what have you? So um, hopefully, good three, good four, and we can uh, we can uh, really get a spectacle on Tuesday. And um, with your Tiger Moth one hundred and one ticket, are you preferring it stays dry? Yeah, I think so. Um, I know he goes through it. Um, I mean, you probably wouldn't want it rattling firm, but if he was able to to get a, a, you know a good four surface, I'd be happy. Yep. All right, and uh, Anthony Van Dyke, the Caulfield Cup runner up. It's really difficult because, again, on on his pedigree, there's no way he should be seeing out two miles. Um, no horse since they went to, to metric weights in, in 1972 has been able to carry um, more than 58 kilos and win. Um, before that, there were a few um, who carried the, the imperial equivalent, but you're looking at horses like Rain Lover the second time, Farlap, um, uh, Delta, uh, Comet Court, who are, who are considered among some of the best winners of the race. Um, obviously, he was, for mine, well, I, I can't say obviously, but for mine, he was the best run in the Caulfield Cup, um, just with the weight and where he came from. And um, it, was, it was a superb run. But we also know that, that horses have been able to carry weight in the Caulfield Cup and haven't been able to take that form to Flemington. Um, for mine, he's probably... A fringe place chance. I probably, I, I think he probably finishes top ten, um, but I wouldn't be um, having him uh, around the mark for mine. And what about Surprise Baby? Many are still ruining his run last year in the Cup, and arguably should have won. Yeah, I think he's very much the forgotten horse, um, and I say that knowing that um, you know he was favourite a month ago, but he just he's easing out because he hasn't raced since. And there was nothing wrong with the Turnbull run from a cup perspective. Um, I think going in fresh is probably best for him. Um, we know what he can do at a staying trip. We saw it in the Adelaide Cup. We saw it in the Bart Cummings. 
Um, we saw it in the Melbourne Cup last year, um, and arguably he should have won. So um, for mine, surprise baby has to be considered a contender. What about Russian Camelot? He was quite brave in the Cox Plate. Yeah, he was good in the Cox Plate. Um, I think for me, where I'm a little concerned is I'm just not sure how he'll see out the two miles. Um, he's still doing a little things wrong in his races, which isn't ideal. Um, I think that there's every possibility he may end up being the best horse in the race, um, better than an Anthony Van Dyke, better than um, a Bound de Clare or a Villiers or whoever else is up near the uh, near the top of the weights. Um, better than a very elegant, a big call. But um, look, I, I think that. I think that just for him, it's going to be about whether he can switch off and settle and see out the two miles. Um, I think he's got to be somewhere around the mark, but I don't have him on top, but I don't have him in my top four at this stage. But I, I think he's got to be somewhere there in the mix. Is it mainly because you don't think he sees it enough? Is that the kind of the query? Yeah, I, th- I think it's it's enough for two miles. And I, I say that given the fact that I've got Tiger Moth on top who's going to be having his fifth start in the Cup. So, um, you know, it's a bit hypocritical in a sense, but... Um, he's just a different type of a different type of horse, um, Russian Camelot, in that he is still doing little things wrong, um, and I think that he just he just needs a little bit more um, ring craft about him to be able to to handle um, a Melbourne Cup. I mean, we saw a horse like So You Think at his tenth start, um, stepping out and still not proving, um, uh, still still proving a little bit green. Um, over racing, and I just get the feeling that, that Russian Camelot might be in the similar boat. There is quite a difference between these Northern Hemisphere three-year-olds, isn't there, between them and ours, more seasoned and stronger? Is that what yeah, you and I think I think that they've just had more... They've more, had more experience at home. I mean, a horse like a Tiger Moth has been trained off the, the Coolmore, um, the Bally Doyle training grounds since his two-year-old days. Um, and so even though he may have only been to the races four times, he has had... Um, education um, ever since early in his career. Now, that said, I mean, Danny O'Brien's building that incredible bar on heads property up to be able to to ensure that his horses have a similar level of fitness. But for mine, um, people are still still uh, struggling behind Aiden. Um, there's just not that same um, ability to be able to, to season and prepare horses like they have there in Tipperary. All right, and uh, what about Very Elegant? She's won six Group 1s, a Caulfield Cup winner, but she's still very divisive um, about whether people think she'll run that 3,200. Well, look, early in her career, I would have said there's no way she'll ever run two miles. I mean, you'll just remember the way that she just used to pull her head off and she used to be um, she used to be feral. Um, yep. And the fact that they've been able to get her to settle is one of the great training performances. Um, and she just keeps getting better preparation on preparation, um, two miles is going to be a stretch, but I also don't see any reason to think that she won't see it out from, from what she's shown. Um, look, would she be better with a wet track? Probably. Um, but she's, she's a, a, a mare who just seems to do what people think is impossible um, or is unlikely. Um, so for mine, I think she's, she's a definite contender. I think it's going to be interesting just to see a speed map to see where she's going to lob because I think that could really... Yeah, that's important for her. Yeah, I think that could prove really crucial to, to her chances. I think if she gets in a dogfight with a runner down the straight again, she won't be putting the tail in. And that's the thing. She's she's tough as teak. She's so um, so genuine, so game. 
Um, and uh, look, you'd, you'd love to own her. Just, just um, every time she steps out, um, she's just, you know, even even earlier as prep when she was beaten second up, she still ran credibly and still ran um, with merit. And and it's rare that she puts in a bad performance. And you just would love to have um, a horse like her. Definitely, and from one of um, Australia's most popular horses to one of the uh, most popular imports over here, Prince of Aaron. I think it'd be a lot of people cheering for him this year. There would be. There would be. Now, uh, he's an eight-year-old by Southern Hemisphere time and uh, no eight-year-old's won since, I think, 1938 catalogue. Wow. Um, so he, he's got a history against him. Um, but that said, um, horses have been able to win the Melbourne Cup having not won it the previous two times they've contested it. Um, the most recent was Empire Rose, 1988. She was fifth in 86 and then second in 87. Um, but I think that, uh, I, I, look, I think he's he's destined to be around the mark again. He produced the run of, oh, he produced the eye-catching run, the, the flashing light run um, of the Caulfield Cup. Um, look at his record in Australia, um, and it's, it's extraordinary. Um, he just seems to love it down here. Um, and he just looks the type who one of these days is going to fall into place. Um, I think he'd probably be better suited if there was a little bit more speed on than there was last year. I think um, I think last year probably didn't suit him the way the race was run. I think that he's a chance. Um, it's just about figuring out where he sits in that pecking order. And what about Finch? He's a quirky horse, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Um, again, another horse who's always around the mark. Um, you know, he's always he's always sort of within striking distance, but he's, he's just unable to 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 find that, that length or two he needs. Um, I think it's probably going to be the same again this year. He's probably the, the type you can bank on to finish fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. Um, yep. But I don't think he's going to be able to, to win the race um, yep. just based on, on everything we've seen and his, his portfolio since he's been down here. And uh, what about Master of Reality? He's, he's been close before. He has. Um, obviously, second across the line last year, um, relegated to fourth after uh, the protest. Um, I think what's really interesting with Master of Reality is that he's taken time to find form this year. He's been better this year than he was last year, but he's just taken that bit of time to find form. Um, last time out, they took him to Down Royal in Northern Ireland, um, and he won the Her Majesty's Play very, very comfortably, um, as he should, um, to be fair. But you look at um, Master of Reality, look, I think he was really well suited the way the race was run last year. Frankie was sort of able to, to whip him to the lead um, on straightening, and they... He, he sort of left others flat-footed around him. Um, I think that it's going to be a different run race this year, and if it is, I think he's going to struggle um, in the way that Australian races generally are run. But if it's run very similar, he's a, he's a chance. But for mine, I think I'll probably be risking him. And another horse who is quite well in the market, which might surprise many, um, Miami Bound, she hasn't really found much form since that Oaks win, although she was a lot better last start. Um and she loves Flemington, Danny O'Brien Polish. Look, before last weekend, I would have thought that there was no chance. She'd been disappointing in the two campaigns she'd had since um, since coming back from winning the Victoria Oaks. Um, but look, she was really good last weekend. I think the wet track suited, and I think that's probably what she she needs. She probably needs a wet track. Um, however, she's a she's a winner at Flemington. Um, yep, love Flemington. Yep. Week. Yep. Um, and well, that's. 
uh, lightweight, um, gets in really well at the weights. Um, the two miles, probably a little concern. Um, but again, Danny O'Brien polish, as you say. Um, yeah, I think I think she's definitely a top 10 contender. Whether she can win, different story. But um, the thing is, I think she's just going to keep being forgotten by the market because um, there are so many other form lines. And yet that, that Moon Valley Cup win was was very, very good. Um, yep. And look at the horses behind her. She's meeting most of them again here and meeting most of them better at the weights as well. Yep. Uh, what about the Geelong Cup winner, Steel Prince? Again, um, another horse. who He actually ran sneakily well last year. Um, uh, he was a big price last year because he hadn't shown much form, but he hadn't needed to because he'd won the Andrew Rams and he had a, he had a position in the Cup. They didn't need to do anything and they just needed to have him ready on race day. Um, this prep has been very good. Um, he was very, very good in the naturalism. Um, he was obviously yeah, very good winning the Geelong Cup um, and very dominant and backed off the map as well. Um, I think... Again, he's one who I'd say probably a top ten contender. Can he win? Mm, I'd be hesitant, but I think I definitely think he's going to be around the mark. And what about Ashron? He ran alongside Steel Prince in the John Cup. He's one who needs to uh, win the Lexus on Saturday to be able to qualify. Um, again, so I had two. I had two early Melbourne Cup bets um, that are still live, um, and I, I think I had, I had three overall. The other was non-conformist to one. The Kunji, but um, um, one out of three is not too bad if you've got one at 100 to one. Well, exactly, I'll take that. I'll take that. And look, if if Ashran qualifies, I've got Ashran at a good price as well, so I'll take that. (laughs) Um, Ashran again needs to win the Lexus, but I think his run in the Geelong Cup um, was really good from a Melbourne Cup perspective. Um, The negative for him is I think that running three times in 10 days, I'm not sure he can handle it. He's a little bit fragile from uh, what I understand, Um, but. Again, if you watch that Geelong Cup run, he was probably the run that screams Melbourne Cup most. Um, I think he's a contender if he can get in. And quite an interesting runner for Godolphin. Uh, what do you make of uh, Villiers? Well, he's, uh, he's again, an old favourite. You have to love um, a horse like a Villiers who just turns up uh, year after year, campaign after campaign. Um, the thing with Villiers, he... He's a bit maligned these days because he doesn't win out. He doesn't win often. Uh, I, I think he's. Oh, I couldn't even tell you when his last win was. Um, but when he performs, he he, he genuinely performs well. Um, he ran really well in the Caulfield Cup. Was uh, tightened at a crucial stage. Um, I think going to the Melbourne Cup's the right move. Um, people will look at the form guide and see that he finished well back um, when he contested the Melbourne Cup a couple of years ago. Um, however, um, that year. Uh, Clifford Moore broke down in front of him and it meant that uh, he had nowhere to go. He was pushed right out the back um, and just ended up... He, he was never going to finish closer than what he did um, after that that uh, interference. So um, he's a bit of a wild card. I don't know what to make of him. I'm still trying to figure out where I'd have him in my rankings. Um, again, probably somewhere maybe top 10, maybe just outside the top 10, but... Um, if Avilius ran well, it wouldn't surprise. A bit of rain would probably help him as well. I think. Absolutely, I think I think uh, rain would work. But again, he put he he goes fine on top of the ground. He's just uh, he, some of the others come back to him when he's on a wet track. And what about Persan? He's racing really consistently. He is. He is. Um, Bart Cummings winners generally run well in uh, the Melbourne Cup, and they're generally 
um, overlooked a bit as well um, because it's a different form line. And especially with a horse like Persan, he hasn't really been meeting many of these horses. Um, gets in down in the weights. Um, a Piero running two miles. Got to be a bit iffy about that. Um, but, look, he's been – he's just kept stepping up um, this whole campaign, which has now lasted the best part of, of eight months. He just keeps stepping up and up and up. And, um, look, he's, he's – again, he's another sort of a wild card. I'm still trying to figure out where, where he figures in my, uh, in my ratings. And what about Stratum Albion? He's a horse I don't know a lot about. Yeah. Um, personally, I think he's the worst-weighted runner in the race. Um, but – I've been found out in the past by some of these uh, Willie Mullins horses, especially by Max Dynamite twice. Um, wasn't a fan of Max Dynamite at all. Um, Stratum Albion, he uh, managed to win the uh, Cesarevich in the UK, which is one of their big flat handicaps um, over two miles and two furlongs or about 3,600 metres. So clearly he stays, no problems there. Um, for mine, I think that he probably lacks a little bit of class on the weight that he's on. Um, I mean, I'd much prefer Very Elegant on 55 and a half than Stratum Albion uh, on 55 and a half or 55 or where he is around that mark. Um, but, yeah, I mean, at least you know he stay, he'll stay. And Willie Mullins is one of the best trainers in the world at preparing horses for these, for these staying features. So can't rule him out completely, but I'd be surprised if he won. Yeah. And what about... Twilight payment is he in the same boat? Is he likely going to be a pacemaker again? Well, it's interesting because he, um, he his form was better for most of the season than Master of Realities. Um, actually, I'd, I'd say I was actually I was quite surprised by how he performed this year at Twilight Payment because he just looked like a different a different horse entirely. Um, it was his first full campaign with Joseph O'Brien, and. Um, he was coming out and winning these races by lengths. Um, like he came out and won um, the Curra Cup, uh, I think it was, by eight lengths, um, beating Master of Reality by eight lengths. Um, and also he'd won the Vintage Crop Stakes by two and a half lengths, um, second to Nick Chuck Cave. Um, what was interesting was to hear um, Joseph O'Brien's foreman saying that the reason they thought he was more forward than master of reality was because master of reality didn't go to Saudi Arabia only the early in the year, which, um, twilight payment did. Um, and so when racing was shut down in Ireland, it just meant that twilight payment was more forward. Um, that said, the way that twilight payment has been going this year, um, I mean, third in the Irish and ledger last time out, big, big run. Um, I, I dare say he's in career best form. <laughs> it's, it's look, I, I don't think he can win, but, I think Twilight Payment could perform better than last year. And you have to remember, he finished, what, 11th last year. So yeah. um, he actually doesn't have that much ground to make up. He might be over the odds at, what, $34, $40? Yeah, he, absolutely. Um, he's he's the type of horse who wouldn't surprise me by getting into the into the finish at all. All right, and we've got a couple of Aussies to go through here. So uh, Warning, uh, King of Lear Grants and Ocean X. Let's uh, kick off with Warning. Do you give him much hope? Warning's been really interesting to me, this prep, because his prep has screamed sort of old-fashioned Melbourne Cup prep in terms of the way that he's been um, stepping out um, and, and performing, you know, finding the line start after start. Um, 
again, he's he's probably the type you would have loved to have seen in, in a McKinnon on the Saturday just so you could get a, a guide to where he's at. Um, but he's been fine at the line. Caulfield Cup run was a bit disappointing, but um, I think Warning is uh, probably a horse that I have sort of fringe top 10 um, at this stage. Um, but look, again, we know he loves Flemington. Getting back to Flemington is going to be a plus. And uh, if you take that Turnbull run and you like Surprise Baby, you probably have to like Warning as well. And what do you make of King of Lear, Grant? Some, I think he was a favourite earlier in the year when he won the Adelaide Cup. Yeah, he was. Um, and I actually think that he's still deserving of uh, a higher spot in the market than where he's at. Um, the Geelong Cup run was very good. Um, it may not read as well on paper, but uh, Damien Lane gave him a perfect ride. He came through down on the inside, uh, went to the lead. Um, it was quicksand down on the inside. So um, gave him a good blowout for, for the purposes of, of progressing his fitness, but also ensuring that he's on song for two weeks' time. Um, I think it was an absolutely ideal Melbourne Cup trial. Um, I think for mine, King of Lee Grants is one of two horses that I have high up in my rankings that, uh, that's at a bit of a price. The other one we'll get to shortly. But, um, but no, King of Lee Grants I definitely think is a, a contender for sure. Interesting. Um, and what about Ocean X? I heard she might have a bit of an issue um, earlier today. But yeah, they're saying that... They're saying that she's she may be um, you know she may her, her action may be off and uh, um, if so they may have to to withdraw her um, but they're going to reissue her let's see what happens um, it'd be a shame if she didn't line up but especially given she had that golden ticket um, that she won in the Andrew Ramson beating King of Lee Grants um, I think it's quite interesting because she never looked like being the type who'd get out to two miles um, but I think she's proven that staying's her game. Um, I think that, uh, again, Mick Price and, and Michael Kent Jr. have been able to take her along slowly, knowing that she's guaranteed a spot, knowing that she, she doesn't really need to win any of these races going in. She just needs to have the right grounding to show up on Melbourne Cup Day. Um, I think she's probably an unlikely winner. Actually, I'd, I, I'd be surprised if she won. But, again, if she finished around the mark, definitely wouldn't be surprised at top 10 around there. And what about the chosen one? Yeah, he's the other one at a price that I think is ridiculously overpriced. Um, I think people are looking, again, from an SP profile, are looking at the fact that, okay, he started whatever he was, 81 or so in the in the Caulfield Cup. And he obviously, I mean, he obviously performed well finishing third. Um, but they're looking at those runs beforehand where he didn't run very well in the in the Underwood didn't run very well in the Herbert Power. Now, the Herbert Power for mine, for mine was just to draw a line through it. Um, nothing went right there. It was it was just a complete, um, yeah, a complete ruler through that. Um, Underwood, same sort of thing, just wasn't suited. Um, but also, it was he was regressing, having finished, uh, having won that race at, at Flemington and winning it really impressively, a seventeen hundred meter handicap. Yeah. Um, you know, went up to two miles in the. Uh, in the auto and finished second to Edda James. Still not convinced that two miles is his go, but they, the thing with him is he's been improving prep on prep on prep. Um, and his Caulfield Cup run, if it hadn't have been um, if, if it hadn't have been the chosen one, if, if, if a horse like, uh, say, Warning had produced that run, he'd be, he'd be single figures now. Um, and so for mine, I think the chosen one 
is probably the one I'm warming to most. And it's unlikely, but there's there's a, still a small possibility I might end up putting him ahead of uh, ahead of Tiger Moth. So I'm I'm really really warming warming to him by the day. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting prep, isn't it? Well, being first up at big odds and then two below par runs and the Underwood and Herbert Powell, then you know kicking back in the Caulfield Cup and running well. It's um. He's put in two really good runs out of the four runs this prep. Yeah, and I think the thing with him as well is, um, again, if you if you go back and watch that that Herbert Power, um, it really is a forget. He was just he was wide. He was just he, he was he was never a contender. He was never in he, he was never in the race. Um, I mean, I, I didn't think he was a Caulfield Cup player at all. But um, the thing with him is he's just he's capable of producing a big run on his day. And I mean, look. He may, that may have been it last week, um, and and we don't see it again uh, at Flemington. But at the price he's at, I've just got to have something on him. What's his record at Flemington? It's not too bad, is it? Oh, th- three starts, one win, and no placings. Yeah, okay. I mean he he ran on okay in the Hotham last year, but again they ran really slow. Um, he was never really in the race. And then three days later, I, I just don't think he really backed up. And again, he was right out the back in what was a slowly run race. Um, he just, it was, it was never, never going to pan out for him. Um, I think what's been crucial for him in the two races that he's won this year, um, or the, the, the two really big runs he's produced this year, he's been able to settle handy or, or midfield, um, you know, just four of midfield. And I think that that's probably what he needs to do. I think he needs to settle closer. And if he can, then I think he's right in the mix. And what about last year's winner, Val and Declare? What have you made of him this prep? Yeah, um, disappointing. Um, disappointing. Uh, I think I think every performance since that good first up run in the Australian Cup earlier in the year, every run since has been, has been poor. Um, that 2,500-metre run or 2,600-metre run at Flemington where he was odds on, um, since then it's just been it's been really disheartening watching him. Um, and then now he goes up to 57 kilos in the weights. Um, I reckon Danny O'Brien will have him um, much more suited and much more prepared um, for, uh, for, he, for for Tuesday's race. Um the rumor at the moment is that Fred Kersley is going to ride. That'd be a huge first ride for Fred. Um, yep. So, um, yeah, I think he rode his first winner at Esperance not even four years ago. So that's that's huge. Wow. Um, and I see as well that um, he worked in blinkers this morning um, down to Clare and has been has been approved to work uh, to, to to wear the blinkers on okay. uh, um, a Tuesday. So a few different things there that could change. Um, but I think he needs more to go right. Than that, and I just look at I look at fifty seven kilos, and it just it 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 really puts me off. I I couldn't have him with fifty seven. Punters will be tearing their hair out. The Melbourne Cup winner of last year wins at what sixty or eighty bucks. Oh, <laughs> that'd be, that'd be exactly. ridiculous. Yeah, people will be going. How do we let him go off for that price? But the thing is, I think on what he's shown this year, he deserves to be that price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no two ways about it. He's just not going as well as what he was. No. I mean, when you think about last year, he entered in off, uh, what, he finished fourth in the Turnbull and second in the in the Caulfield Cup, um, and he was carrying 52. Uh, so, um, yeah, when you look at it a year later, just the, the puzzle just doesn't fit. Some of the form turnarounds Danny O'Brien's produced this year, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be shocked, though, would you? No, you <laughs> wouldn't be totally be shocked. shocked. You wouldn't, definitely wouldn't be totally shocked. But, um, yeah, it, it, would, it would be, 
he would be one of the really big all-time form reversals if he was able to get him up. Yeah, I think there'll be punters giving up the punt for a couple of uh, months if, if that occurs. I think so. Uh, what about Mustajir, mate? He ran pretty well in the Corfu Cup. Yeah, he did. Um, he'd been disappointing in the two runs uh, before that. Um, but, yeah, came out in the Corfu Cup and, and really uh, really performed nicely. Um, I should say the three runs before that in the uh, Premier, Premier's Cup, the Kingston Town and the, and the Metro. Um, but, no, Corfu Cup was a good run. Um, found the line nicely. Um, look, he's going to be a big price here. Um, I'm still not quite convinced that he sees out um, sees out the trip, um, sees out the 3,200 metres. Uh, we've seen him now twice at the trip, and both times he's just looked like he struggled. But, again, if he gets it on top of the ground, you know, that's that's got to be a, a different um, kettle of fish altogether. So not going to rule him out entirely, but for mine at the moment, I've definitely got him um, down the pegging order. Yep. Um, only a few more to go who are actually a shorter run in the field. Uh, what about dashing Willoughby? He obviously didn't perform to his best in the Corfu Cup, but can we forgive that? Well, uh, Michael Walker said that he came out of the gates, he sort of knuckled, um, and then he came back sore all over uh, his back. So I think you've got to forgive that run. Um, I actually thought that he was probably – he was the import I wanted to be on in the, in the Corfu Cup um, – I mean, I was on Toffee Tongue, who did no good. Um, a very elegant second. But Dashing Willoughby was the one I expected to perform um, of the imports and clearly didn't. Um, so you can't rule him out if you look at his form before that. But coming off that sort of run, it would, it would again, be a really major form reversal, no matter what excuses were there at Caulfield. Um I thought they may pull him out, so I'm, I'm interested to. I mean, I'm interested that they're still they're still apparently progressing. So we'll wait and see. But um, for mine, off uh, that first run, no, I'd need to see something more from him before uh, considering him. And what about Edda James? Uh, she beat the chosen one in the Sydney Cup. So if you're taking a form line through the chosen one, who you like? Are you giving her a chance? Yeah, look, she's, again, I think she's probably a fringe top 10 player. I think um, you look at Etta James and she's, what, um, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old now. Um, she's an eight-year-old now. So um, you'd have to think there's not much improvement in her, whereas the chosen one, again, I felt has improved year on year and uh, prep on prep. Um, Etta James, they've given her a lot of prep into it, knowing that she was qualified. Um, her run in the Mooney Valley Cup I thought was actually really good um, going towards... Um, going towards Flemington, and we do know that she uh, she sees out the 3200. Um, we saw it in the Sydney Cup, and she ran well in the uh, Auckland Cup as well. Um, for mine, again, Kieran Ma, David Eustace, you know you have to respect them, um, but I'd probably say fringe top 10, um, probably further back than that. And another mayor, the last one we're going to go through um, of those in the field, uh, True Self. Yes, so True Self um, probably hasn't been in the same form this year that she was last year. Um, You know, we saw her come down last year and um, OCI obviously uh, got involved in her um, in terms of uh, sharing that partnership with her her owners as is. Um, And she was coming off a a fair run in the Ebor, um, ran second in the Geelong Cup, won the Queen Elizabeth. this year, uh, she's been in different sorts of races, but yeah, can't say can't say there's been much uh, 
that's really been encouraging about it. Um, I thought the run of the Pretty Polly, where she was beaten 10 lengths, was actually probably her best performance because she was beaten 10 lengths by Magical at yes. set weights and, um, you know, over a short a tri- trip way too short of her best um, was good. But uh, since then, yeah, it hasn't shown enough for me to think that she could uh, somehow turn it around. Well, that's... Absolutely fantastic insight you've given us. Very comprehensive. And um, do we need to go any further back? Is there anyone else who might sneak into the field who we need to cover? Or have we... I'll have a quick look. That I'm just, just trying to think of who who might be there. I mean, um, if Ocean X comes out, then potentially a San Huberto. But San Huberto was was poor at Geelong. I couldn't um, have him um, off what I've seen. The other one in the markets, uh, Nicky Jack Cave. Nicky Jack Cave again. Um, a horse who um, has had a few uh, is quite fragile. Um, is probably the best way to put it. Um, they've specifically um, decided to go towards the Cup without a run uh, leading in. Um, he's just a horse who um, is going to need a bit of luck to make the final field. But again, we've seen it fall away worse than this um, for him to be able to make it in and. Um, It'd be a return of the American colours. We haven't seen them uh, in a few years, but uh, he'd carry the American colours should uh, should he make the field. I think Platinum Invader lines up in the Lexus as well. Um, Platinum Invader would be interesting if he did win the Lexus because um, he's the type who um, relishes two miles. And I thought a couple of his runs earlier in the prep were, were good looking towards the Melbourne Cup. Um, I think Sound could be the really interesting one. Um He's flying this prep, and I've never been a fan of him. Um, he's run in two Melbourne Cups already and not shown much, but um, I've never seen quite what I've seen from him this prep. Um, was stopped in his tracks last week in the Mooney Valley Cup um, when he was just winding up, so complete forget run. Um, his performances before that were good. Um, again, if he was to make it in through the Lexus, he'd probably be one I'd consider um, putting in at a bit of a price, but... Um, Otherwise, I think it's it's pretty set um, for me that um, you know I've got I've sort of got my main chances being um, uh, Tiger Moth, uh, the chosen one who I've mentioned, uh, Sir Dragon A, um, Prince of Aaron, uh, very elegant, King of Leah Grants, Surprise Baby. I think they're sort of the, the real six. Um, they're sort of the the ones I'm looking at. Um, but again, um, things can change between now and uh, when the preview goes out and then also between when the preview goes out and uh, Tuesday's race. Fantastic, man. So remind us again when the preview will go out and where people can find it because it's um, one of the most well-read previews you'll get all year from racing fans. Yeah, look, I love putting it together and, and the support of racing fans, um, it, it really uh, makes a big difference to me because it, it just it, it, it's me putting a passion um, on the page and and people um, really have responded to it so I love it um, it will be available on Twitter um, it will be there by um, by Sunday morning um, I can't give a, an exact time that it'll go out but um, I reckon you'll probably have it in your inboxes if you're an ANZ Bloodstock new subscriber um, probably by 3 or 4 um, a.m. Sunday morning, so um, it's almost ready to go. It's just about who wins the Lexus and, and just trying to um, do some of those those last little bits that get put together um, to form a, uh, a great supplement. But it is definitely worth a read. I will say um, a couple of our writers for ANZ have done some really good pieces as well, worth reading. Um, 
you know, Steve Moran, who is an amazing writer and, and a very experienced writer. Um, Steve um, has uh, had a chat to, to Mike Moroney 20 years on from, from Brew winning the Melbourne Cup and uh, um, Tommy Churchyard, who's uh, a, a young uh, up-and-coming writer for ANZ and a really good writer as well, has uh, spoken to Dermot Weld and Frankie Dottori, who both uh, were part of that first Melbourne Cup raid in uh, 1993 um, and obviously having differing fortunes. Uh, Frankie still hasn't run, won the race. Um, Dermot, he's won the race um, now twice. So, uh, yeah, really worth, uh, worthwhile reads and I would encourage anyone um, who just wants a little bit of background on the Melbourne Cup, who, who, who just wants something to, to be able to, 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 to read that, um, to, to, to something to read on Sunday morning. Um, just have a read of this and, and please give me a feedback. I'd love to hear it. Awesome, mate. Um, so remind us again, what's your Twitter handle and the, the ANZ Bloodstock uh, website? Yep, so uh, my Twitter handle, at uh, AndrewNJHawkins. Um, yeah, you'll find me on there quite, quite <laughs> often. Uh, you know Brad yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, my uh, uh, company's handle or the, the company I work for um, is ANZ Bloodstock News uh, www.anzbloodstocknews.com um, you can subscribe there we send out a, a daily publication um, that has uh, everything you need to know for the Australian and New Zealand uh, racing and breeding industries um, we've got a really popular feature which is a morning briefing where you'll be able to to basically get up on all of the news uh, that's happened over the past 24 hours. So, um, yeah, look, uh, please subscribe and, uh, look, we'll uh, uh, produce that Melbourne Cup supplement and hopefully find the winner in the coming days. Brilliant, mate. Fantastic to pick your brain about the Melbourne Cup and also to hear about your career. And, uh, yeah, congratulations on all you've done in racing and I'm sure there's a lot more in, in store ahead. So wonderful for you to join us and thanks for your time, mate. Cheers, Brad, and uh, let's hope I can uh, join you again soon. Sounds good, mate. Well, good luck with Tiger Moth at 101 with that ticket and uh, the chosen one is your value bet in the, in the race as well. At Winning Edge Investments, our team of highly skilled expert analysts and full-time professional punters review the data, crunch the figures, assess the best betting opportunities and deliver them to your phone via our app and your email inbox in real time so you profit. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com, look at our membership options, make your choice and enter the promo code PODCAST to receive a special 25% discount on your first membership just for listening. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T in capital letters for a 25% ongoing discount on your first membership. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments.